Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. I get so tired of hearing these folks justify it by saying, well, it's not all churches or, you know, it's not, you know, or my church is not that way. Or, you know, this was a, this was one circumstance. Like our church as a whole is not this way. Well, when is it like going to be enough? So many people are not, are, are so indoctrinated and so engulfed that it, they're never going to wake up out of it until it's them or their kid. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Jeremy Coleman. You might know him better as that pastor from Oklahoma. He has blown up on TikTok, and I think you're going to realize why. He's saying some things that you don't typically hear pastors say, and I really want to have a conversation with him for a long time, and what better place to do that than here on the podcast? To give you a little bit of background, Jeremy Coleman is passionate about seeing communities become stronger by loving one another better. He's a pastor, speaker, podcaster, and content creator that focuses on challenging, empowering, and educating through the lens of his faith in Jesus. His mission is simple, quote, love God and people passionately with no strings attached. Jeremy grew up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and attended Putnam City High School. After graduating in 2007, he then attended Oklahoma Baptist University, and since 2008, he served at churches in the Oklahoma Panhandle, Tulsa, and the Oklahoma City metro area. In 2009, he married his wife, Brianna. In 2014, they welcomed their first daughter. They now have four children and have adopted two beautiful girls and one amazing boy in 2019. Today, he's working to serve an amazing online community that started on TikTok. Since November of 2020, Jeremy has connected with over 220,000 followers across the world. His passion for truly following Jesus is evident in his content and conversations about deconstruction, evangelicalism, current events, and loving our neighbors. I mean it when you say you're not going to want to miss one second of this conversation. There are no topics off limit, and Jeremy does an amazing job communicating on today's episode. I really want to know your guys' feedback on this show. So if you have any thoughts on the episode, be sure to connect with me on social media using the handle at PreacherBoysDoc, or you can always head over to the Preacher Boys official discussion group over on Facebook and let me know your thoughts over there. But for now, let's get into my episode with Jeremy Coleman. I hope you guys enjoy it. Jeremy, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, I've been, I've been a uh, fan of the podcast for a while. So, uh, uh, excited to, uh, to connect and, and to be on. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Excited to have you on. Um, and, uh, I was telling you a little bit beforehand, like I've been watching you on TikTok, uh, like a lot of people, uh, obviously are doing, uh, and sure. meaning to connect and, uh, man, with, uh, the three podcasts I'm involved with, uh, yeah. trying to connect with people is always hard. Uh, but I figured what better way to, uh, intro myself than let's just hop on and, uh, record the conversation. <laughs> I, I have made, I, in the last year I have made so many friends and I'm like, Oh yeah, that, you know, that's my buddy. That's my friend, whatever. And it's like, uh, most of our conversations are like live in front of people, you know, right, kind of right. so, well, and, uh, it's been a lot of fun for sure. Well, and now most of my friends, I don't even want to use quotes because like they're legitimate friends. Like I've never met, like they're just people right. that I've connected with, you know, yeah. and then yeah. the weirdest for me, and, and this is probably how you feel with, you know, someone who is watching on TikTok or, you know, but I'll have people who I'll meet who listen to the show and I'll realize like midway through the conversation, like, holy crap, they know everything about me. Like they know yeah. 200 hours of just me yapping, which makes me feel really bad for them. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was drawn to you. Like I, I talk a lot, like there's a lot of bad pastors out there that, you know, say a lot of really dumb things. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have a yeah. show if it wasn't for that. Um, you know, and I always say, I wish, <laughs> I wish there was more good pastors that were louder and called out some of the crap that happens in churches and, and, you know, in general, just in society in the world. Um, and so your content is a breath of fresh air. Um, Tell me a little bit. I mean, I don't know anything about you past, you know, TikTok. And I know TikTok, you weren't like yeah. born and then started a TikTok account. So take right. me a little bit back into your background. Like, how did you get yeah. into ministry, into church? Like, what's your the kind of experience sure. with the church? So, um, you know, I was, uh, what, what's the, uh, what, what's the, you know, the church kid joke. Uh, I was a drug baby, right? Like I was, dr- right. Drug, I was drugged to church from the time I was, you know, in my mother's womb or whatever, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night kind of deal. Um, and so, uh, grew up in Southern Baptist church. Um, okay. but it was, it was, uh, very traditional kind of fundamental, um, you know, not, not, uh, not an IFB church, but, um, definitely had some of those same, like kind of mentalities and, and theologies that, that ran through it. Um, and so I, uh, I grew up in that culture. Um, and then I, I was fortunate enough, uh, that I got the opportunity to go to a pretty diverse middle school and high school. And so I started getting like a really good perspective outside of my own bubble, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So fortunately I was, I was in, in that culture, but uh, you know, kind of in that very traditional fundamentalist Baptist culture. uh, But I didn't, you know, have to go to like, you know, I wasn't homeschooled or didn't have to go to like a, you know, an IFB, uh, you know, uh, school that's connected to the church. So fortunately I dodged all that. And I, I went to public school and I, I started to just get this really diverse friend group. And I started to kind of see things from so many different perspectives. Like I, I tell people all the time, I remember having a conversation in seventh grade and this was like 2001 or two. Right. And, and I, I remember sitting down with a friend of mine at lunch and we were talking about, we were talking about something with the uh, you know, something had happened in his apartment complex. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just call the police? He goes, well, I don't trust the police. 
And I was like, you know, what do you mean? Like, because I was always, I was always raised like, you know, these are our heroes. Like they're, you know, they're heroes with no capes kind of thing. And he goes, man, we've got a completely different view uh, of what the police do and and don't do. And, and it, it was, it was just a really eye-opening conversation for me um, to hear something from so outside of my perspective. And so I kind of fell in love with that a little bit. Uh, but, you know, fast forward, I ended up going to a little bit more, um, it, it was, it was kind of a mega church in this area, you know, several thousand members, uh, still at SBC church. Um, and so my family moved to that church when I was in high school and, um, and then I ended up going to Oklahoma Baptist university, um, to major in student ministry and pastoral studies. And, uh, and so, um, and just through that process, um, I just remember having a ton, a ton of questions about the things that were being taught in those settings and the things that were being taught in the church. Um, and that just kind of led me down that road of to start really questioning some of that stuff and, and, and eventually what led me out of the Baptist church. Right. right. Well, I mean, I, I want to rewind a little bit because you talk about, you know, growing up with a diverse group of people and yeah. you think that's a really good thing. And that's not something like, you know, we talk about the IFB on this show, but within the Southern Baptist Convention, within evangelicalism, there's this idea of separation, you know, like yeah. we are these people within IFB circles, it's literally a doctrine, you know, we separate from, you know, people who aren't believers. And, you know, even now you're still a pastor, obviously still a believer, you know, yeah. but you don't look at it as a downside to be spending time with people with different points of view or different perspectives. Uh, why do you, why do you have that view on it like why because a lot of people would say like oh be around people that edify you or strengthen you in the faith or that sort of thing um you know why do you have a different perspective or uh, or view on that i think that, i think there's beauty in diversity i think i think god created us diverse intentionally um you know and and so while you know my seven-year-old put it best the other day I, I find myself quoting her more and more often with this she goes, she gets in the car and she goes, dad, you know, we all have 206 bones. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Your mom's a nurse. She probably knows that. I don't. Um, but uh, that's real cool. And she goes, I just think it's great how God makes us all the same on the inside and different on the outside uh, so that he can enjoy our beauty like flowers. And I was like, golly, I mean, just hit me with all of that knowledge. Like it was heavy, but it's, but it's such a good point, right? There's, there's joy in diversity. There's, there's freedom in diversity. Uh, there's beauty in diversity. And so I think when we sit down to the table and we hear different perspectives and we hear different about different cultures and different worldviews and different uh, ideas, I think all of those things make us better as people. We learn how to respect each other better. And ultimately, I think at the end of the day, then, then we accomplish something that Jesus said was pretty important, which was, you know, first off to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor unless you appreciate who they are. And, uh, and so, I think that there is a lot of beauty and diversity. And I think the problem with the American evangelical church, the American fundamentalist church is that they have, they have blocked out diversity because they're afraid of it. And that's, that is unacceptable. That's not what God is. Uh, when we talk about the image of God, it is, it is, uh, it is an image that is, that is vast and, and complex, uh, and, and beautiful, um, uh, that surrounds the globe and, um, encompasses people from every culture, race, worldview. Um, that that is the beauty of who God is, and so um, I think I think that we need to normalize uh, appreciating diversity, um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems in the church. Where do you think that fear comes from? 
Well, none of us like things that make us uncomfortable, right? Or none of us like things that don't don't look like us. Or you know, I mean, we 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 move to friend groups that look like us and share our interests. Like we, you know, we we move to communities that look like us and share our interests. And uh, because we're we're creatures of comfort, like this feels comfortable. These people feel comfortable, right? Um, but comfort is complacency. Complacency is a rut, and a rut is nothing but a grave with the ends knocked out of it. Like that's that's all it is. Um, and so you're you're literally handicapping yourself. So while it's easy to while it's easy to to land in this space where we all think the same, we all talk the same, we all look the same, we all sound the same, all of that sounds great or whatever. But the problem is, is there's no growth. There, there's no there's no movement out of that. I mean, and we look at the life of Jesus. And we see how he pushed back against the establishment. We see how he pushed back against the norm. We see how he called people not only at times metaphorically, but also literally out of their comfort zones, um, whether that be socially, whether that be um, racially, whether that be, uh, you know, uh, it, it, gender wise, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see Jesus elevate people of different social statuses, people of different gender status, different genders, right? Like we see Jesus equalize and edify women through his ministry. We see Jesus equalize and edify those who that, you know, his culture said were, you know, they were basically racist against, right? Like, you you know, you think about, um, you know, you think about Jesus with the Samaritan woman, he just, he just chops off uh, so many stereotypes right off at the knees, just in that conversation alone mm. by approaching her and showing her value and saying, you have something that I want and I value you enough to give me something. I'm, I'm willing to humble myself before you and ask you for a favor. So Jesus shows us through that servant leadership in that, in that moment, that diversity, inclusion, and growth are important. And so, um, so I think that people run to what they know because it's comfortable, uh, but they're they're not doing anything other than handicapping themselves and making themselves look less like Jesus. And so, uh, you know, again, beauty and diversity we see it in the in the ministry of Jesus, and, and therefore that's what we have to be about. Yeah, you, you mentioned being part of a you know mega church culture in the area, and yeah. it really pushing you away uh, from. Uh, the sect of Christianity that you were in, uh, what was it you saw there? Was it just the lack of diversity or was it, you know, some of the host of other problems that get often associated with, you know, mega churches in general or kind of that American evangelicalism? So I think it was the, I think once I kind of stepped back and looked at it from 10,000 feet versus like in the middle of it, it's really easy to get into those places and just get caught up in the middle of it. Right. Like you, you feel like you're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Like you're too busy. Money. Yeah. 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 You, you get, you get over, overly busy, right. You, uh, you become a cog in the, in, in the system, mm-hmm. right. Like you're, you, you know, so then you're valuable, right. So, so you feel that value and as, as, as human creatures, like we like value. So, um, you know, and, and so you get into that system and you get washed into that system, but I was fortunate enough to have a moment where I could kind of step back for a second especially after some, some conversations that I had had uh, again with some of my friends uh, from school uh, who, who had said, you know, Hey, I've had encounters with your church and man, it just didn't feel very loving or whatever. And so I kind of stepped back from it. And, and what I came to realize is that a lot of those churches are, are pointing at themselves and saying, you know, they're, they're posting on their social media, they're, they're talking from the pulpit they're whatever, look at what we are doing for. And it, and it always has the vibe of those people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, 
it's not like they want to help people in a situation. Like I remember I started hearing language, like we're going to help, you know, those homeless people, or we're going to help those people in poverty. And it's like, it's like, no, no, no. You're defining people by their situations. And that's not fair. They're still valuable people created in the image of God. This is someone who, and, and I've actively had to try to change my language in this. This is someone who is in a season of homelessness. This is someone who is in a season of poverty. They are not defined by those things. That's not who they are because that's not who God sees them as. And so my problem was, is it had, it had a ton of, um, it just stunk of, and, and later on, this, this phrase became more prevalent you know, later down the road, I don't know if I had an identifier for it, then what I would call it now is white privilege. Like it just smelled of white privilege. Like it, it, it reeked of, you know, Oh, look at us. We're so wonderful. Look at us help those people, you know, that kind of thing. And, but, but they were the gatekeepers and, and I just, I really, really struggled with that. And so that wasn't good community allyship. And, uh, and, and so, uh, then I had the opportunity to start, uh, my first ministry job was at an inner city church here in Oklahoma city. And I just remember the incredible, not, not just diversity of that group, but just having a complete heart change for, you know, I was, I was the youth pastor. We had kids coming from, so, so it's like a small town in the middle of Oklahoma city, like mm. Oklahoma city completely surrounds it, but it's its own township. It's like three quarters of a mile square. And at the time there were like eight businesses in this town and six of them were strip clubs. And so a lot of the, a lot of the moms there worked at the strip clubs. Right. And I just remember seeing like these, the kids and the, and the, and the parents, the, these mothers, whatever. And I, I just remember, and I, and I'm like, I'm like, man, how sad is it that we act like these people, you know, are less than it's those people versus us or whatever the case is. And it just really challenged my heart to the point where I, I just, I just began to see, and, and I still have to continue to work at this, right? Because we all, we all mm-hmm. struggle with it. If you ever think you've arrived, you have it. But I just remember starting to see humanity in things that I was told for so long that mm-hmm. there was no humanity in. Yeah. And, and so, um, and so it just completely changed my perspective, not just on the way I read the scriptures and the way that I saw the ministry of Jesus. Um, because I had always been taught Jesus from white middle to upper class people. Like that's where Mm -hmm. I had always heard about Jesus from, but then having conversations about Jesus in so many diverse conversations outside of that, it began to just change my, my understanding of who Jesus was and what he was doing in his ministry. And it, um, you know, it, it, it has, it has definitely made me better and it's challenged me to grow. Uh, and I, you know, I hope that every day I can continue that growth. From from the people who are in those positions, usually teaching about Jesus, who you know have the books and the platforms and the stages, um, and maybe even some who are listening right now, uh, who would find themselves on demographic when they hear you talk about things like your privilege or talk about having diverse conversations, you know, they may be turned off and say, you know, well, you've, you're just following a more liberal, you know, Christianity, or or there's, you know, you're using language that's associated with you know, the more progressive liberal Christian sure. circles, um, you know, what would you say to those people? And I think you may have said some of it already, but what would you say to people who hear those words and immediately go, Oh, well, obviously he's following this progressive trend. Go back to the scriptures, go, go back to the scriptures. 
Um, go back and see how Jesus edified people. Go back and see how Jesus brought equality. Go back and see who Jesus condemned, like uh, who, who he had his harshest words for. It wasn't ever, it wasn't the woman caught in adultery. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the woman at the well who had five husbands and was living with a, another man. It wasn't those people. He showed love and grace and compassion in those situations, right? He never, he never had strong, who, who did he have the strongest words for? The religious elite, mm-hmm. the religious establishment. Those are the ones that Jesus called out and held to this, to this rigorous standard of, you know, at, at different times. I mean, I mean, literally just gives them, uh, I mean, I mean, just cusses them up one side and down the other, right? Like you brood of vipers, you whitewash tombs. And then, and, and then, you know, at another point, and this is actually one of my favorite points in scripture, when Jesus says, uh, you know, your unmarked graves that people don't know they walked on. Mm. And, and we just kind of walk right by that passage. Like we don't think about like, I mean, we, we know that Jesus is being strong there, but we don't really know why. If you put that in cultural context, what Jesus is saying is, is so if you walked over into a grave site or over a, you know, into a tomb or over a grave uh, in that culture, uh, you were then considered unclean, right? You were, you were dirty. You, you, you actually, they, they, they believe that you, you, you carry death with you. Right. Uh, and so there was a, there was a ritual that you would have to go perform or, or be a part of to cleanse yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying you're a bunch of unmarked graves and you are dragging people through death and they don't even know that they're dying. You're bringing death. And so what I would say is I would, I would say that, you know, you can sit here and say all day long, oh, that sounds liberal. Oh, that sounds progressive. Oh, this sounds this or that. Jesus didn't fit in your political box. Jesus, Jesus isn't a part of the, of the American political system. That's not how it works. Jesus was somebody who came and, and showed us how to bring equality and justice and love and grace and compassion. And he also taught us how to push back against the establishment that was oppressing people. And so, you know, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, what I would say to those folks is, is pretty simple. I would go back and I would open-minded read the gospels. I would look at the life of Jesus and I would see his, his gospel is not about America first. His gospel isn't, isn't about, uh, you know, uh, you know, making America great again, his gospel, his gospel is about love and truth and salvation to everyone. And we need to treat everyone like they were created in the image of God and that they are loved desperately by God. No strings attached. How do so many people go into scripture and grow? I mean, sometimes third generation Christians coming from a long lineage of, you know, reading the Bible. Um, how do they get to a point that is polar opposite of what you just described, because that's something that, you know, for me, I've, I've talked about on the show, that's one of the big battering rams against my faith has been seeing the people that know the Bible the best, you know, the, the religious people in, in society seem to be the worst people, you know, and, I, and I, I don't like to generalize and I would never say all Christians or all atheists or all any, any group, because there's bad people in every group, good people in every group. But when I, when I look at my, at my show, the people that have fallen the hardest tend to be the people who have the biggest platforms, the the most connections, the most power, the most knowledge, or they're looked to as the, the strongest teachers. How are they going to scripture reading the story of Jesus and coming away being, you know, uh, abusive or manipulative or just mean at the, at the best, you know, uh, how does that happen? 
Well, I, I think, I think that people love power, right? Um, it's like, it's like I told a, uh, it's, it's like I told a group of students one time, you know, I, I jokingly said this, of course, you know, uh, I said that communism looks great on paper. Uh, the problem is, is when somebody greedy gets involved. And then I said, but there's always someone greedy, right? Like there's never not a greedy person. So um, <laughs> I think, I think the truth is, is the same. Like as people get a reputation and as they get power, uh, they begin to manipulate those things. I mean, I think we, I think we heard a really great detailed story of that uh, through Christianity today's telling of, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, right? Like I think at the, at the beginning for all his warts and imperfections, I think Mark Driscoll legitimately wanted to reach Seattle in a grunge punk rock kind of way, right? Like he was, he was a little bit off the rails, but he legitimately wanted to, to raise up a generation of new men in that city. He wanted to raise, you know, families up in that city. Like, I think that's where the, the mission started. The problem is, is that when people start getting notoriety, they start getting fame, they start getting power, they start getting influence, all of those things. Then their influence, then their worldview is influenced by their power instead of their power being influenced by their worldview. So, so they get it twisted and then it's a cherry picking thing, right? Like I'm going to take this passage out and I'm going to hold it up in your face, but I'm not going to put it in biblical context. I'm not going to put it in literary context. I'm not going to put it in historical context. I'm just going to grab this one out and hold it because this makes me feel like I have power. And so I, I, I honestly think that that's, that's a lot of where it comes from is that, is that at the end of the day, it is, it is them, uh, it is them letting their worldview be influenced by their power instead of the other way around. How, how do we, so you bring up Driscoll, obviously, and he's a great example. I mean, he's being talked about a lot right now. How do we prevent this from happening? Because I, you see a lot of times, you know, it is, it all looks the same. I mean, I was, I was just watching the eyes of Tammy Faye, you know, just recently, mm, you know, this, you mm. see, you see a Jerry Falwell, you know, the political yeah. motivations behind a lot of that stuff. Um, or you read like a Jesus and John Wayne, you see this kind of, play out this political move for additional power, additional strength. And with people who starting out seem to have good intentions, you know, at some point in the beginning, there was good intentions that got perverted. You know, how do, how does the church identify this before it becomes another fall of Marcel? Like, how do you identify these problems? Because again, like I said, like, it's hard to determine in the beginning what's blessing you know what we identify as like a blessing on somebody versus oh they're manipulative and they're really good at bringing power to themselves yeah i think i think good open honest transparent conversations you know it's just i was just preaching yesterday out of john chapter three you know toward the end of the chapter jesus is telling nicodemus he says he says you know you people people want to hide in the darkness because their their deeds are evil they, so they want to stay there that's they don't want to be seen huh? that's why my that's why my youth pastor said people like going to movie theaters right <laughs> oh lord yeah you love darkness rather than light yeah yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's pretty funny um but you know i think that uh i, I think that i think that what has to happen is we have to expose those things, but then we also have to normalize pastors, religious leaders, Christian influencers, you know, Christian, Christian people in general, being open and transparent and saying, here's some areas where I failed. Here's some areas where I haven't been, I haven't looked like Jesus. I haven't sounded like Jesus, whether it be in my past, whether it be five minutes ago, whatever the case is, we have to normalize a culture of, of being able to, you know, kind of 
kind of telling ourselves, right? And and, and to be and, and to make it a thing that's open and transparent. I, I know what a lot of pastors get caught in is, you know, I think of I think of a pastor that I knew here in Oklahoma who um before he had even gotten into ministry, struggled with a porn addiction. Okay. And then he was having a conversation with, you know, this was years on down the line. Marriage was great. Kids were wonderful. Ministry was going well. You know, he had, he had kicked that addiction. Him and his wife had a, had a, you know, a check and balance system put in place, right? Like a covenant eyes or something like that. You know, all of those good things. He's sitting down at dinner with a, with a deacon at the church at the time. And he shares that with this guy just in private conversation, just, you know, Hey man, I, you know, he said it came up that, you know, another church member or whatever had shared it with this deacon and the deacon was seeking the pastor's, you know, uh, wisdom on it. And the, and the pastor goes, man, I struggled with that too. I totally get where this guy's coming from. You know, here's the steps that I took to walk out of that. Right. So in, in, if the church is working well, that's perfect because now we've gained tribal knowledge of how to grow better together right? Like now you don't have to make the mistake because I made it for us, right? Like it sucked and I wish I had never done it, but now we can grow together. We can normalize that. But the problem was, is that they, that guy walked out of there, called a private deacons meeting and that dude was out on the street in a week. They fired him because he had had a porn addiction 10 years before he ever took the pulpit at that church. Hmm. So (laughs) And that's the culture we've created in the American church. It's cannibalism. It's who can, who can live the best Instagram life, who can show up on Sunday morning and their, and their family's all dressed to the nines and they look great. And they're so excited to be there. And mama sits quietly and holds the baby while dad amens, you know, about every third sentence. It's a beautiful structure, you know, Oh, pastor, we're so blessed. We're doing so good. You know, I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the house with the picket fence, two dogs, three kids, whatever the the averages are today, uh, two and a quarter kids. I don't know, whatever. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to live the American dream America yeah. first. Like this feels so good. Uh, so we've normalized faking it. We've normalized, uh, we've normalized, uh, two faced, uh, personalities when we should have been normalizing transparency and just talking about that, that people sometimes, no, not sometimes all the time people show up with baggage and, and humanity is just kind of, it's, it's gross at times and it stinks at times. And, um, so if we ever want to see the church come out of where they are, then what's got to happen is people have to start saying, here's my baggage. Here's my stuff. I'm willing to bring it into the light and I'm, I'm wanting to repent for it. Not only repent for it, but I'm also willing to say, Hey, let's be better together. And, um, and I think the sooner that that happens, we're going to see less abuse in the church because people just aren't going to stand for it at that point. Right. If everything's out in the light, people just aren't going to cover up for it when it does happen and people aren't going to allow it. Right. Like it's just, you know, everybody community wide would be fighting against it. But right now, because everybody's trying to keep each other's secrets and keep it on the down low. And everybody's trying to look their best and sound their best and be their best, especially these people at the top. They don't want to be brought down. So they're, they're keeping a bunch of secrets. They got all the skeletons shoved in the closet, nice and neat behind some boxes, no problem. Right. And if it ever comes out, then the, then the whole empire starts to topple. So it's, um, you know, that's how you create a culture of abuse. That's how you create a culture of, of issues. And, uh, and until we normalize dragging, dragging our skeletons out of the closet and saying, here's all my crap and here's all your crap. And, um, 
you know, we're going to walk through this and be better for it. And we're not going to allow it inside this community again until, until that happens, we're just going to continue to reap the same cycle. Well, you hit, I mean, you hit something huge there, which is, you know, the, the church tends to eat people alive who yeah. are, you know, either had a past situation, uh, like you mentioned, like a porn addiction 10 years before getting the pulpit or somebody who, you know, I mean, porn's a great example. I mean, like you look at, I, I look at the guilt, you know, in high school, you know, of, of you know, oh, I looked at something, you just sit there crying every Sunday for the next year, you know, be like, yeah. why am I interested in girls? You know, like, why, why is this, you know, like yeah. this? And then you start finding out, like, I would be in less trouble and have less guilt if I was molesting a teenage girl as a youth pastor. Like there was this yeah. overabundance of grace on, you know, people that sh- should have gone through a legal process should have been, you know, yeah. there was this overflowing amount of grace for people and serious, serious issues but then it was almost like a diversion from that stuff was like, let's go after people for going to movie theaters, you know, a guy looking at porn, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, someone dancing or drinking or whatever that other thing was that, you know, maybe wasn't positive in that, within that context or not positive at all, depending on what of those things we're talking about. But it was this thing of, you know, let's focus and tear apart people over little things while also letting big things slide. And that's, that's a really confusing thing to see. I still am confused by it. It is confusing, but, but think about it like this, that, and that's, and that's a really, that's a great, that's a great point, by the way. Um, but think about this, the youth pastor who is preying on teenage girls is the same guy that five years ago, seven years ago, whatever was sitting there scared to death to tell anybody that he had stumbled across some boobs online. Right. And didn't know how to talk about it. And so he internalized it because both of those guys are products of, of uh, purity culture inside of that fundamentalism. And so then what happens is instead of, instead of the church coming alongside this kid, who's not afraid to say, look, I, I, I have this thing going on in my life. I don't know what to do. Like when he's 15, right? Like I, I, I feel like this wasn't right. Can we talk about it? And somebody taking him under the wing and having an honest conversation about life and about sex and relationships, right? Instead of that, now you're asking a 15 year old kid to manage sexual emotion, right? And never have a real conversation about it. Cause he's scared to death. Well, then all of a sudden now you just have an immature adult. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't by any stretch of the imagination ever, ever, ever justify any kind of abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. It doesn't justify any of that. But the reason that so many of these guys end up in that is because they have been a product of a system that set them up to fail, yeah. right? It set them up to be abusers. And that's the reason I say so often when we talk about the IFB, when we talk about the fundamentalist church they're cults, they're cults, and they are, they are abuse factories. And the reason that they're abuse factories is because they don't handle anything well, and nobody's having real conversations. They're worried about his little Susie's dress long enough, you know, is her hair done right, right? Um, they're worried about all of these things. They're worried about, you know, did, did you wear your tie? Are you tying that right? You know, and, and so on, so forth, all that, you know, don't go to the movies, right? all of this stuff. Don't listen to that, you know, satanic, uh, you know, Christian rock, rock music. How dare you listen to DC talk or skillet, you know? 
And, and so out of that comes this just immature, uneducated crop of people who have no real context of deeper understandings of life, sex, relationships, marriages, friendships, family, you know, all of those, all of those deep, intricate things that the church should be talking about and should normalize talking about we're missing on. And so then, and so then what happens is you then create a predator because, because this guy comes out, has never been held accountable, has never has never known how to handle these emotions and these feelings and these, these urges. Right. Uh, and then, and then ends up, uh, you know, preying on some, you know, vulnerable kid, uh, who doesn't know any better. And then this is how we, this is how we end up with a, a cyclical, uh, abuse, uh, mm-hmm. a cycle of abuse. And so yeah. it's, it, it's just, it's, it's just disgusting. And it's, and, it, it, and yeah, I, I could go on on that one for a long time, but, um, but it all comes from, it, it all stems from the horrible purity culture, uh, that is rampant inside of those, in, inside of those churches and cultures. Yeah. Well, you're, you're teaching this kind of permanent adolescence to men, you know, like I, yes. what, when, when I mean the podcast, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, preacher boys is a term obviously I borrowed from that world. You know, I, that was a term used lovingly for, you know, young college age men that were you know, going into ministry. But for me, it was, there was a, first of all, there was a boys club of pastors that covered things up. So it was a interesting play on words there, but also I think boys is a very telling word. word. It's a, it's (laughs) a, yeah, it's, it's, and you have these, you have these youth pastors getting thrown in who again, have these, this big closet of weird secrets. They were taught. It, It just, it's a mess. It's a mess. The way that men are trained, um, the way that, um, especially the fact, I mean, the fact that teenagers, you know, in a youth group are used as a training ground for somebody in ministry when that's, that's not a place you want to be testing out someone's leadership ability, you know, like that's not a place you want to see like, Hey, are they going to be good in ministry? Like you're potentially damaged, even if there's no sexual abuse, just having someone leading a group of people who is not figured anything out for themselves at all yes. is a, is a dangerous place to be. Um, I, I want to talk, you, you know, we talked a little bit about like exposing the really small stuff, but leaving the big stuff covered up. You know, one of the things that stood out to me with your, your TikTok and with your social presence is that, you know, you pull a lot of skeletons out of the closet and talk a lot about, you know, issues within churches. Um, yeah. And one of the things I want to get your perspective on as a pastor is, you know, one of the biggest reasons I see well-intentioned people cover up abuses is PR. Um, you yeah. know, we don't want to make the name of Jesus look bad. How many times I've heard it's going to make Jesus look bad. It's going to make the church look bad. It's going to make Christianity look bad. Um, you know, what's your take on that as a, as a pastor and why are you not scared to, point to some of the negative things to point to a, a Bill Reeves, you know, on a TikTok or to point to, you know, abusive leadership within, within churches, because the the collective seems to be, that's going to turn people away from church. I would hope. And, and, and I've seen it um, as I, you know, so I, I pastor a church in person here, here in, in Oklahoma city area. Uh, but I also lead a, a gathering online. 
And all of those people are folks who are not inside of a physical church right now, right. Or a traditional church right now. Um, they, uh, they've either like, I, for example, uh, one lady on our leadership team, this is the first church she's ever attended. Mm. Had never had a spiritual interest at all until she ran across this stuff on TikTok. just thought, thought Christians were horrible, evil, you know, disgusting because of all the reasons that we've talked about. Right. And then she comes across, you know, some of the content that, you know, I've created and other folks kind of in that vein have created. And she was like, Oh, you know, wow. Like there's accountability happening now I'm interested. And so um, now she's, she's a believer and someone who is extremely proactive in an online church, having been someone who never went to church. Uh, and then we also have folks who, you know, come from Catholicism or a fundamentalist background who then left the church running because, because of the things that we've talked about, right. They've been disenfranchised, they've been hurt. And, um, but the one thing that brings a community together like that, um, and the reason that I would say that it's not going to push people away from the church that I would hope that it would push people to Jesus is because they're starting to see accountability for all the things that they know. You say you follow this Jesus guy and he says he's about love. He says he's about grace. He says he's about forgiveness and honesty and, and all of that, right? Justice and mercy, but you're not doing any of those. And so what they're seeing is, is I, or what I would hope that they're seeing is through that ministry is accountability starting to happen in the church. Um, and, and a challenge for the, the church, the, the capital C church, the people of G, you know, Jesus, the Jesus followers that we would be, um, that we would be running to him and looking more like him regularly. Now, I don't always accomplish that goal. You know, none of us do. Um, but my goal each day is that when I lay my head on the pillow, did I look more like Jesus today? Did I sound more like Jesus today? Did I act more like Jesus today? Did I treat my neighbors more like Jesus today? Um, you know, and, and so I think it's good. I think it's good to have accountability inside the church and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and I think Jesus set that precedent, right? He called out the religious establishment. It was corrupted. It was broken. And, uh, you know, he looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time and the scribes. And, and I mean, like we said earlier, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier, he had some of his hardest, harshest criticism for them. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like fighting, um, with those who have been disenfranchised and, 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 uh, and, uh, marginalized by the church, uh, is important. Um, I feel like pushing back against the establishment when it doesn't look like Jesus, when it doesn't sound like Jesus, when it doesn't act like Jesus is important. And so what I would hope is that people aren't seeing me just, you know, exposing the dirty details of the church with no end in mind. What I want to do is bring accountability. And so that these things stop happening. Um, and so, uh, you know, that would be my prayer. Um, and, uh, and I, I hope that, you know, I hope that God would, uh, would use that. And I, I, and I hope that I'm, I'm, you know, being actively used by his hands. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be bringing the accountability. I want, I want Jesus to bring the accountability. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I, like I said, I'm, I'm encouraged when I see that, you know, that's one of the reasons that I've followed and connected and, 
um, you know, one of the, I mean, I've said like one of the biggest reasons I stepped away from Christianity in the last year was watching. I mean, it was watching the response of pastors, you know, and, and the pushback against any form of accountability, any, any form of, of, you know, approaching this topic. And what's scary to me is, you know, I, I mean, I grew up hearing, and I'm sure you did too, it's Hollywood this, and, you know, uh, what about the world, you know, and, um, and it's certainly there, like there's certainly abuses and things, but, you know, I, I I sat down with someone just a few days ago, uh, interviewing them for my, for my film podcast. I was interviewing an actress and we're talking about Harvey Weinstein. She was talking about Mm. all the, all of the ways that that led to change within the industry. A lot of, um, you know, initiatives that she was a part of, you know, making sure there were ways to report, making sure there was all this transparency, making sure there were, you know, coordinators that could, you know, help a production assistant report somebody high up um, and all the different resources and apps and things that were being created. And I, I just, I was sitting there going like, it's crazy to me that, you know, Hollywood is, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, is, <laughs> is handling this so seriously that me too came to Hollywood two years before it hit the church two waves, yep. you know? And I yep. just, I just sit there and go like, it seems like the church should be leading the charge in this area. But again, sure. it's, it's sad to me when someone does the bare minimum, it's like, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for doing the bare minimum, at least saying it's bad. Like you'll publicly say, oh, there's abuse in churches and it's bad. It's hard. It's like pulling teeth to get that. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and, and that's, and that's ultimately, I think the biggest problem is that the church in America has found itself time and time and time again on the wrong side of history. Uh, they have bastardized the gospel and weaponized the gospel to justify slavery, segregation, uh, misogyny, uh, you know, homophobia, bigotry. I mean, just the, the laundry list. Right. Um, and then here we are, you know, uh, we've got pastors covering up for other pastors, uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, trying to keep their buddies safe, uh, you know, in abusive, disgusting situations when we should be the first ones dragging, you know, I mean, like we talked about earlier, we should be the first ones dragging everything out into the light and saying, here it all is. Here's the baggage. Here's the junk. Here's all the imperfections and the, and the disgusting stuff but we are cleaning this up. Um, and it, and it is really telling to me that, you know, I mean, I think about, you know, like I told you earlier, I come from the SBC. Well, you know, just this, just this fall, the SBC fought back and forth um, about whether or not their executive committee was going to waive their attorney client privilege um, to be discussing abuses inside the SBC. I'm going to get you back into today's episode in just a moment, but first I want to thank the sponsor that is making today's episode possible, and that sponsor is Factor. Factor creates no prep, no mess meals. You can meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, no matter how many podcasts you're recording, going up and down the stairs, trying to take meetings, whatever you're doing, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great 
tasting meals. And I can say this from experience. They were kind enough to send me a couple of meals for this week, and I enjoyed one just shortly before reading this ad, and it is amazing. And with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert and stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. And these aren't meals that skimp on quality either. You've got things like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, and so much more. So if you want to try it, go head over to factormeals.com slash preacherboys50 and use code preacherboys50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code preacherboys50 at factormeals.com slash preacherboys50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Go check out Factor and now check out the rest of this episode. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Dr. Kachapa, do you think that there is, I question this all the time with, with large institutions, with mega churches, with the Southern Baptist Convention, do you think it's purely a fact that they're over leveraged financially and are getting, doing these multi-billion dollar projects, multi-million dollar projects around the world that like they have to act as a corporation. They have to be thinking, well, what's a lawyer going to like to me, it seems like there's just a fear like, Oh, the corporation's going to come crumbling down. Like when you've got a million dollar mortgage or that, that might be, but it's not a fortune 500 company. It's a church. So, well, I so agree. I agree. you, you know what I'm be, saying? No, I, practically. I, right. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess at the end of the day, here's the deal. Like, is it more about uh, saving your rear end and, and keeping everybody's jobs and, and covering up the things that, you know, so you don't get sued or you don't get, you know, you don't take a big hit in the pocketbook or is it about morality? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and people's lives, like we are talking about abuse victims. We're talking about people's lives who will never be the same because they have been abused by leaders inside the church. I don't care what it costs. It costs what it costs. And if that means, you know, and I, and, and I said, I said after that on my podcast, uh, you know, I, I, I host a podcast with two other folks and uh, from TikTok and they asked me about it because I, you know, they knew I came from an SBC background and I just, I, you know, I, I have finally come to the point with them where I'm like gasoline, not water. It's all on fire, but let's just pour gasoline on it because here's the thing. I don't care if it burns to the ground, if that means that the abuse stops happening. Mm. 
So, you know, I don't care about, you know, and, 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 and I think they are thinking of it like exactly what you're saying, right. Um, which you wouldn't advocate for, or neither would I, but they are probably thinking, man, we're running this multi-million dollar corporation and we got to save our butts because, you know, there's a lot on the line here. I don't care what's on the line. Let it burn. There's a, I wish I'd see more radical risk like that. You know, the funny, the funny thing is like, if you are looking at it from a business perspective, that's, this is where I go back and forth. I mean, I look at the church that I grew up in, you know, that spark helped spark me thinking about this stuff in the first place. Cause there was a cover up that happened firsthand within the church I was in. Someone was relocated to our church. My dad's still on staff there, which makes for awkward uh, holiday conversations. Like this podcast, <laughs> Thanksgiving's a little weird. And, yeah, a little yeah. bit weird. But it's like I look at that, and uh, you know, right? I mean, right now, the administrator of the school that I grew up in is married to the pedophile that was relocated to our church, and so I, I you know, I, I've had conversations with people that work there that I still feel like I have any kind of, and I'm just like from a purely non-moral perspective, like from purely just business, someone comes to enroll their kid in the school. They Google the principal's name. The first three hits on Google are of a youth pastor molesting a teenage girl in this youth group. From just a PR level, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> it's a bad look. But also on the flip side of that, like I mentioned for me, like I, you know, I distance myself from the church at large, you know, and I did like, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows where I, where I would be right now, but I, I feel like if there were more people, if there were more Jeremy's in the world, or if there were more people who are calling this stuff out, even if it's dirty, even if there's stuff where it's like, man, I can't believe this happened in a church. Like, I feel like I may have still in the beginning of 2020 been like, let's try to find a church in this new area, instead of going like, I need a break from this because it's too much. And it's, it, it's more spiritually damaging to be in a church than, than to be out of it. Um, But it's not, it's just hasn't been the case. And I don't, I don't understand. And again, like I've said on the show, I'm never turned off by a church, even now, like even right now, I don't feel any bitterness toward churches or toward Christians. I feel like there's, you know, maybe toward institutionalized groups, like the Southern Baptist Convention, I've got some feelings about, you know, the way it's being run and things like that. But, but it's one of those things where when you have 250 people in an IFB church, the odds of somebody, of something happening over a 20 year period is pretty high. There's going to be pedophiles. There's going to be all sorts of, there's going to be a rapist. There's going to be, there's going to be things that happen. You're not guilty because that happens in your church. That's just a result of people gathering. That happens at a business with employees. But what do you do when it happens? That's what people are judging by. And I think churches are severely underrating like what it can do to to just say, like, oh, that happened. Here's how we're going to handle it. Yeah. And yeah. And the response has been piss poor, right? (laughs) At, At best. And, That's the soundbite to start the episode. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's just been, uh, it's just asinine. And, and, and I, 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 I just don't understand why you wouldn't be doing everything you could possibly do to get ahead of the curve and mm-hmm. say, no, we are putting, we, we are going over the top with the, you know, the boundaries that we are putting in place. Like we are, 
you know, we are locking it yeah. down um, because, because it's like, the, I mean, like how many times did you hear growing up? You know, we, it sounds like we grew up in very similar spaces, you know, how, you know, you know, you have to abstain from the appearance of any, yeah, just evil, the you know? appearance, just the evil. appearance of evil. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, but then, but then when it comes to that point, they're like, well, you know, I don't know. Well, we'll just, you know, we'll it's, fix it next time or whatever. And, and I get so tired of hearing, I get so tired of hearing these folks justify it by saying, well, it's not all churches or, you know, it's not, you know, or my church is not that way. Or, you know, this was a, this was one circumstance. Like our church as a whole is not this way. And I'm like, you know, and, and I had somebody ask me, you know, well, when is it like going to be enough? And I said, it's always going to take one more because, because the problem is, is, is that so many people are not, are, are so indoctrinated and so engulfed that they're never going to wake up out of it until it's them or their kid. That's when it's going to change for even, even then some don't snap out. of Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point too. This is what's, this is what's difficult for me. You know, I had, I had somebody, um, you know, when I, when I talked about, you know, leaving the church and, you know, it just, for me, it became too much of a, you know, it was too much of a cognitive dissonance between like what I was seeing and what I was supposed to be feeling about the religion, about the, about, you know, all of this, where I was like, I couldn't justify what I was in, you know? And so for me, but one of the things that was really frustrating to me is there was a pastor who, you know, I, I mean, I had been on their podcast and talked about it, you know, and, but when I announced that, you know, his first thing was you focused on the darkness so much that it made you ignore all the good things. And, you know, when I think about that, I think about the trajectory of my life. I've been doing preacher voice for two years. Um, I wasn't focusing on the darkness when as a 16 year old, I saw a predator get shuffled to our church. I wasn't focused on the darkness when I went into a missions organization where the, the, you know, the founder was paying himself 13 grand and saying, we don't have enough money to pay these pastors or to do this or uh, to pay you more than 500 bucks a month. I wasn't following that when I was fired from that missions organization by the next guy who, um, you know, I didn't like that. We were praying in a circle around the American flag when Trump was uh, running for, for office. (laughs) Um, you know, I wasn't chasing the darkness when I saw, you know, uh, you know, one and done counseling session to get a guy back into ministry after, you know, being incredibly abusive. I just, for me, I was never focused on, it seemed like the darkness was kind of focused and following me around. You know, I, I went mm. to different denominations, went to different churches, jumped out of that. Oh, I'll follow, uh, I'll, I'll try to watch stuff from an apologia, or I'll try to watch stuff from a John MacArthur who's saying horrific, you know, it's like, you jump from all these circles to independent Baptist. So the Southern Baptist is better. Go to that, go to the reformed Baptist. That's a, you know, a, Oh, Mark Driscoll. Perfect. You know, I'll recover yeah. with some Driscoll. <laughs> it's like, it's he's but, safe, but it's time and time again. It's like, I wasn't focused on like, it was born out of just like, it was a barrage of this over and over again. And yeah, like, because eventually, because eventually it becomes the rule, not the exception. Right. right. It's an it, exception <laughs> to see someone, like I said, like, you're not doing something revolutionary, you know what I mean? Like, like, (laughs) like the fact that I'm taken aback by like, 
hey, there's this guy on TikTok who's like saying that bad things shouldn't happen in the church. You know, like <laughs> th- that you stand out as much as you do. And, it, and, and it, it it is sad. Like I joke about it, but the reason you've got however many followers you have now, thousands yeah. and thousands of people tuning in is because that is the exception. To have a baseline level of morality as a pastor or in a church, yeah, is like yeah. whoa. Like, it's like a circus, right? Like right. nobody, yeah. nobody's seen the elephant balance on the ball before. This is right. nuts, right? And and that's and that is, I, I think, ultimately at the end of the day, I think that is one of the saddest things. I told somebody I was I was really struggling, uh, you know, because it comes with ups and downs. There's no doubt about yeah. it. And um, I, I was just really struggling. I just gotten like a you know, I've gotten several, uh, you know, pretty serious death threats or, you know, whatever, cause people are nuts, but, yeah. um, but I had just gotten one of those and, you know, there's just a lot of stuff swirling and Fox news had picked up a, a story that I had done, you know, about, you know, Hagee's church chanting, let's go Brandon in their service yeah. or in their, you know, in their church. And then, you know, locks church was doing it in service, you know? And, and so I was calling all that bull crap out. And then, um, you know, then, then all the, you know, the, and it's not even, it's not even people who are, who are like traditional Republicans, you know, it's, it's, it's the extremist Trumpists. It's, it's, it's them that are, that are just nuts. And so I'm getting like all this kickback and I'm, I'm really struggling. And I just, I, I remember I looked at my wife one night and I said, the things I'm saying should be boring. Yeah. It should just be boring. Like people, people, it should just be taken for granted that we're going to be kind to each other. It should just be taken for granted that Jesus is enough for your pulpit. Like you don't need, you know, the politics and the, and the whatever else, like it it should be, it it should be boring for me to say, you know, we should not be, you know, uh, abusing uh, women inside the church, like this misogyny, this abuse, you know, sexual, emotional, physical, mental abuse that's happening inside of the church, spiritual abuse, like these things shouldn't be happening. That should be boring as hell. Like it should just be really, really boring, but it's not because, Mm -hmm. because again, all the things that you're describing is, is that, yeah, we were chasing after the light. We wanted to see Jesus and we ran from place to place to place and thing to thing. And at the end of the day, we looked up and we went, huh, this is just a bunch of bullshit. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know if your podcast is it's, it's fine. Yeah, you're good or not, but it, it's just a bunch of bull crap, you know? Um, and, and it's, you know, so eventually like you have to look up and you go, I tried, I tried to find all the good stuff and it's just not here. And so the, the exception is the things that, you know, really at the end of the day should be boring. Right. right. Yeah, man. I, like I said, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's encouraging to see people. Cause again, like I don't, my goal is not, it has not been to, I want to see every church shut down or, you know, and there, I think there are, there are people in the space of what I do that feel that way, you know, and, and to some level I can, I can understand that, you know, I can understand like, oh, there's so much badness. There's so much, you know, but for me, I think there are, I think there's really, a handful of healthy examples of what a church yeah. can look like and what a community can look like. And I, and I know enough of those people to go, I don't think it's tear it all down or, you know, be done with it. I think if people are going to choose to attend a church, I think there's a responsibility to keep those people safe. I think that, you know, I, I mean, I was talking with a, a friend of mine who is going through something with, you know, with their church right now. And, you know, was talking to me about, you know, how the lawyer saying to do this and that, and, and I told them, I said, 
you know, and I told them, I said, I'm putting, I have skin in this, in this game. You know, like I said, I do this myself. Um, I said, do what's right. Not necessarily what's, you know, what your lawyers advise you to do or what's safest right. to do. Um, yeah. And I told, I, you know, I told them, I said, I probably will get sued at some point doing this show, uh, knock on wood. Um, you know, I, I probably will at some point get sued for saying something or going after the wrong big name or whoever, Yeah. but there's just a point. And I think this, what's funny is that so much of this is informed from teachings. I heard growing up being a Christian soldier, you know, like go out, fight the fight that no one else wants to do. But then when you actually do it, there's this like pushback of like, well, keep quiet and don't talk about, you know, it's, it's so weird, but like all that to say, I mean, I really hope we'll see some more boring people like you pop up. Uh, I'm really hoping yeah. we'll see some more people just do base, like baseline human decency yeah. is so needed. And it, it's what, this is what I think I want to just nail home is like, for someone like me, who's looking at it goes like, and finally got to the point, I was like, I'm fed up with this. I want out of this. Like, that's what I was looking for. I was not looking for this crazy, you know, like it, political sh- shift. I wasn't looking for it to go, you know, in this direction or especially, I hate when people say, oh, you leave the church because the music or whatever, like whatever it's, it wasn't over music or all this stuff. It's like, I just want baseline human decency. Yeah. Like you see outside of the church, <laughs> like you see with non-believers every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be in this toxic country club of people that, that keep covering it, this toxic preacher boys club that just yeah. protects itself. Um, and so, I mean, that's, like I said, that's why I wanted to connect with you. I, I, I think just people hearing that perspective is refreshing. I know there's a lot of people in my audience that probably don't know who you are. Um, and I want them to hear a perspective that's not just, you know, a Bill Reeves. It's not just a you know, a Jeff Durbin or, you know, the people that yeah. go out and, and say really aggressive and offensive things, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. purposely, uh, purposelessly. I think yeah. there's a place for being aggressive. I don't think it's uh, in the way that most pastors are. Yeah, I agree, man. Well, I, I appreciate you letting me come on for sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. Where, where can people connect with you if they want to send you a death threat? What's the best? Uh, yeah. Best yeah. The now? best. <laughs> The best place to send me a death threat is, uh, is probably on Instagram. Uh, no, um, uh, just at pastor from okay, uh, at pastor from okay. Um, I'm most active on TikTok. Um, you know, just, just because that's where, you know, uh, a lot of the following is and stuff like that. Uh, I have Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, I'm on there occasionally, um, but not, not quite as much. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you want to learn more, get connected, just pastor from okay.com. Um, and you can hang out there and, uh, you know, I've got a podcast and, and some other things. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know, um, I don't know when this episode is going to release. Um, do you have any idea on that? Uh, in the next two weeks or so. Uh, gotcha. So, so, uh, oh, depending on what you're going to say, I can move it to, to match up. No, you're good. I, I was just going to say, um, on the, uh, well, and now I got to look at the calendar. See, I'm bringing things up. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, got a, got a, uh, got a single coming out on Spotify and iTunes on the 26th. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I did like a little spoof, uh, silly song on, uh, on TikTok with my guitar and people loved it. They wanted a full version 
And uh, so we made a, we made a full version so people can check that out too. So um, yeah, just all sorts of fun stuff going on. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have links to all that in the show notes and uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Hope we stay connected. Um, Yeah so bad at connecting with people, uh, but I, I like building some new uh, online friends, uh, which is so funny. So much of this, if you'd said it 10 years ago, you'd be like, you oh. stay off all these chat rooms with random strangers. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, it's, it's been awesome connecting with, uh, connecting with you and I hope we can stay in touch. Same, man. Just continue keeping up the good fight. Um, I appreciate the work that you're doing and uh, you know, you got a, you got a friend in me for sure. Yeah. got to keep it up. I've gotten one death threat, so I got to get, I mean, good. No, I gotta, yeah. yeah. I got to work on getting a few more. You got, your, kinda... you got your feet wet. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's funny, man. Um, I think, yeah. I think, uh, I think I need to have you on my podcast. We need to talk about that. You know, uh, you know, the death threat life is, is so fun. Uh, sure, but yeah, sure. no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Just keep it up. That's how, you know, you're doing the right thing. Right. Right. Well, thanks so much. And everybody listening, be sure to check out the show notes. Uh, go check out the single for sure. We'll make sure this uh, drops right around the time you can grab it and uh, be sure to follow over on TikTok. Until next time, uh, peace out. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.